When I was eight or nine, my best friend at school invited me to his birthday party to watch the Harlem Globetrotters. And it was at the entertainment centre from memory. And we had amazing seats. We were at the very front row there with <clears throat> thousands of people watching the Harlem Globetrotters do their incredible magic. And it was captivating. But I remember a distinct moment because the play stopped and they were looking for a volunteer. And there, in a moment, was this massive American basketball player. And he was grabbing my hand, trying to pull me onto the court. I was so surprised. I was so overwhelmed at this moment. I was petrified and I, I resisted. I just sat in my chair and I wouldn't go out with him. And so he moved on to my best friend. And my best friend went out there and he got the basketball from the Harlem Globetrotters for his bravery. And his mum thought it was very generous of me to insist that my friend go out there instead of me. And I never had the guts to tell her it was because I was too scared. In a moment, I was enjoying things. I was enjoying the show. I was this passive spectator, not caught up in what was going on, but just enjoying it remotely and then there was this moment of terrible fear because I was being invited to move from being a spectator to being an active participant. And that's what we see today. That's what we see for the disciples, the disciples who have watched Jesus, who have heard Jesus now. Jesus is grabbing them by the hand. And we're going to see in the weeks to come, he is as well grabbing us by the hand. And just like me when I was eight, we're resistant. We like the show. We enjoy the benefits of the gospel. We want Jesus' healing in our life. We want his salvation. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. We desire the assurance of heaven. But we're resistant when it comes to playing our part, being involved in the mission that Jesus calls us to be involved in. <clears throat> Jesus' disciples were told to pray back in chapter 9, verse 38. And now, in this section, at the start here of chapter 10, they are now told not just to pray, but they are told to go. And they themselves, it would seem, are the answers to those prayers. They are the workers for the harvest. They are no longer passengers for the ride. Here we see in this section, starting here in verses 1 to 15, Jesus commissioning his disciples in, and commissioning them with his authority. They are commissioned by Jesus and they are commissioned for Jesus and they are to act like him. There is to be in Jesus' mind as he commissions these 12 followers a new history, not in 12 tribes, but in 12 sent, sent ones who in their witness and their words will be the foundation, not for a new Israel, but for the church. Like I said, this presents a new section, chapter 10, 
in the Gospel of Matthew. And this section that starts here in chapter 10 is a section of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Off the back of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, we saw at the end of that section of teaching, Jesus, over the last couple of months, has been engaging in numerous interactions with people and with demons, with the storm, and with all those around him. We've seen him heal. We've seen him rescue. We've seen him cast out demons. But here, here in this section, Matthew moves to an extended uh, section of teaching. We're hearing Jesus teach to those who would follow him. And we have Matthew recording Jesus sending out these apostles. And this is not a mere historic account, uh, a section that might be relevant for those apostles who first heard it. Now what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, in fact, is that what Jesus says here in this section here from verses 1 to 42, this whole section has a present significance and meaning. Because at first glance, in verses 1 to 42, the instructions might seem to be just for the apostles, just for those who are sent out on this first missionary tour. But a more careful reading uncovers a difference, a difference in two sections in verses 1 to 42. And we might call the first section... Uh, there in verses 1 to 14, and the second section, verses 16 to 42. Because in this first section, it pictures the immediate mission for the apostles, in which men are to go only to Israel, verses 5 and 6, and they are to go quickly, not even taking supplies for their journey. But in this second section... From verse 16 following, it seems as though it it looks beyond what the apostles are to do immediately. It appears as though it looks to a future, a future when the gospel will be preached not just to Jews but also to Gentiles there in verse 18. And in that day the messengers of Christ will need supplies and they will be able to to expect an increasing degree of opposition, even to the point of being beaten for their profession of faith there in verse 17. Something that, as far as we know, to our knowledge, these apostles didn't endure. They didn't endure a beating. See, it's possible that these instructions had been given to the disciples at the same time. Uh, telling them that what they are to do, both in their uh, immediate future and what they could experience further down the road. But what we see in the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew doesn't simply arrange everything chronologically. And this is, in fact, something that most of the Gospel writers do. They arrange sections of the Gospel for a particular purpose. And I think this is what Matthew is doing here. I think he's combining 
material, combining material from uh, this first section in verses 1 to 15, that where Jesus spoke to these disciples. And he's doing it uh, for the purpose of empowering not just those apostles who Jesus sent initially, but those like us who would read about them after. It's quite possible that Matthew is writing his gospel after Jesus' resurrection, when the first Christians were already beginning to preach throughout the Gentile world. And I think it's Matthew's concern. It's Matthew's concern as to how those who would read about Jesus, how they are to conduct themselves and what they are to expect. So we have this section here, two sections in verses 1 to 42, but we're going to look in particular at this first section in verses 1 to 15 this morning. I'm going to see where they should go, firstly. Secondly, the message they should preach. And thirdly, what they should expect. So firstly, where they should go. The detail that most restricts the first section of this chapter is this limitation that Jesus sets. He um, narrows their scope of activity there in verses 5 to 6. Jesus says there in verse 5, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. It's interesting here that Jesus is restricting who these apostles are to speak to. Some people think that the addition of the Samaritans there in verses 5 and 6 uh, is part of it here. Uh, because the Samaritans were so despised, um, Jesus didn't want uh, those who would go after him to go to the Jewish area and then the Samaritan area. But I don't think that's it. It doesn't go far enough to explain Jesus' restriction on the disciples' ministry. For one thing, Jesus had been uh, welcomed in the Samaritan areas. We read that in John's Gospel. And I think a better reason for the explanation as to why Jesus restricts where the disciples or apostles are to go is firstly, not everyone can do everything at once. And it's an obvious starting place for their work in Galilee to work where they actually were. Uh, the restriction would have kept them from going further north into those Gentile territories or east into the area of Samaria. And we see this kind of logic uh, in the book of Acts where Jesus says after his uh, after his death and resurrection, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem first and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So in one sense, uh, I think it could be understood as Jesus is just, he's not asking them to do everything at once for just, uh, you know, human limitation. He's restricting their mission. But I don't think that goes far enough either. I think the best explanation as to why Jesus narrows 
the mission of the ones who he has sent is the words that he speaks to the woman in Samaria in John chapter 4. He says to her, salvation is from the Jews. It was a statement that the Jewish heritage and not the Samaritan imitation was the one and only true source of God's revelation in the past. And it would be the proper work of God's people to first take that gospel to his people. And it's significant that Jesus um, confined most of his work to the Jews themselves, saying in Matthew chapter 15 later on, only to the lost sheep of Israel he was sent. And later on, the Apostle Paul picks up the same priority in the book of Romans. He says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, but there's an order, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So I think Jesus restricts the preaching and the work of these disciples because there's a priority in the logic of the gospel. There's a priority, priority to God's original people. And we see that played out in the scriptures. Secondly, I want to have a look at the message they preach. What's the message that these disciples should preach? Well, the message is the same there in verse 7. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. This was the message of John the Baptist, uh, introduced in Matthew chapter 3. He said pretty well exactly the same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. And it was the message of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's what the disciples are told to preach here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. Later on at the very end or towards the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus will prophesy this same in the same way, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. See, the future kingdom... Jesus is saying is active and present in the world. When Jesus was on earth, he had not yet died for sin, nor had he been raised from the dead. And so the kingdom was near for those apostles as they heard Jesus' words, as the king of this kingdom was present but this kingdom had not yet been realised. After Jesus' death, after his resurrection, his ascension and his sending of the Holy Spirit, that kingdom becomes realised, not fully and finally as it will one day be on his return, but this kingdom that was near, this side of Jesus' death and resurrection is realised because we proclaim a crucified, risen and returning Christ who is both Lord and Saviour. 
And so according to this teaching, the gospel is the good news of this king's rule. This king's rule was near, but this king's rule is realised for us this side of the cross. And we should ask ourselves, how do we share in this kingdom? And the answer is exactly the same as Jesus told his disciples. We ought to repent of our sin. And we ought to believe in the one in the one who has come as king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a message that the apostles were sent to preach. And that's the message that we preach. That's the message that we offer. That Jesus has come, that he has died, and that he has risen. And so he offers an invitation to all to be part of this kingdom. And as much as this kingdom is good news, we see thirdly and finally that those who are sent by the Lord Jesus, we see what they should expect because we see that these first preachers, these ones who offered this good news of the Lord Jesus, this good news of this kingdom, the good news that brought healing of people's diseases, well, we might suppose that they were to be well received. But that is not what Jesus promises. That is not what Jesus teaches his disciples to expect. Jesus offered the good news of the kingdom. He healed many and yet Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 says that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. See, what the disciples were to expect is made clear there in verses 11 to 15. Some would receive them and they were to stay with such worthy people, but others would reject them and their message. And if they were to be rejected, they were to shake the dust off their feet, a common Jewish custom moving from Jewish territory into Gentile territory. They were to consider those who rejected their message as Gentiles, as non-believers. We see in this section, as we close, that Jesus is calling, is calling in particular his first disciples, those he sends out here, his apostles, to take this word of the kingdom out. And so too Jesus calls us. And we'll see that next week in particular, in verses 16 and following, how we're involved in this work of spreading the kingdom, of making the kingdom of the Lord Jesus known. See, Jesus invites us not just to spectate and to enjoy, but Jesus invites us, and we're resistant. But here's what we need to remember. We've been invited by the Lord Jesus. We haven't got off the chair ourselves, putting our hands up, for this task. No, Jesus has come to us and he invites us. And so if he invites us, we need to trust him that he will empower us to go about his task for his glory. Amen.